Thanks, Russ, for that reading. I forgot to mention that Russ would be doing that for me, and he's even offered to uh, close out this morning's uh, service. Uh, I'm sure after a couple of hours of hearing me speak, you'll, you'll be tired of it. So, Anyways, the title of our, my, or my lesson today is, is Who Else Do You Love? Um, a couple weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, I was able to give a, a lesson, and, and it focused on uh, the first commandment of, of loving uh, our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength, uh, and that was even uh, part of the reading today. And, and these same words are used, as I mentioned, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 5, but aren't part of the actual Ten Commandments. Now, Jesus didn't stop where I stopped when I talked about loving our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. <clears throat> he continued on and he said, The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So today, I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about that second portion, the second commandment that Jesus gave us. Now, when I started working on this, this lesson, uh, it seemed like it should be pretty easy uh, to get started. And then I realized that the first question that we need to ask ourselves is, uh, do I love myself? And ask yourself, do I love myself? On the surface, that should be a pretty easy question to answer. But I think sometimes, you know, the answer that some people will have for themselves uh, just might surprise others. So now, my intent is to not have you spend the next half hour wondering if you really love yourself, okay? But hopefully with the examples that I want to use from God's Word, we'll have a better idea on how to love others and maybe in the process understand how that, how that can help us love ourselves more when we do <clears throat> more than we do right now. Now personally, I would say that I do love myself. Now there's things about me that I don't like, okay? Uh, and those things that I don't like, I could make more of an effort to change, okay? I'm not fond of my chins, okay? The, the top one, I, I can live with that one, but it's the ones underneath that I'm really not a big fan of, okay? But this physical change, just like a change of our hearts or our attitudes, it needs to start with me. Like accepting Christ as our Savior, it has to start with each person making his or her own choice. Now let's actually get to the verse that I want to discuss. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's a similar saying in Matthew 7, uh, verse 12. It says, So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now back in the 70s, some of you won't remember the 70s, you weren't here, but I remember seeing a similar statement on a t-shirt. It said, do unto others, then split. Okay? Now that, unfortunately, seems to be the attitude that a lot of people uh, have kept at this present time. People will help others if there's something in it for them. They're sort of looking for a reward for doing good. This is also an easy statement uh, to understand uh, 
and, and should be, as Christ stated. It's a commandment to follow. Uh, and the, the reading that Rob gave us, you know, it, it said right in there, this, this is a commandment. We don't change this. We don't add to it. We don't, we don't take from it. So being a commandment from Christ means that this is serious. We need to take heed to listen to this and follow what Christ has said. Now, that being said, I could spend the next few hours giving you examples uh, from the Bible of where this did happen and where this didn't happen. So, get comfy, right? Now, we can start very early in God's Word in Genesis. Chapter 4, right away, gives us an account of Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. Now, as we are told, the two of them offered sacrifices to God, and God found favor in the sacrifice from Abel, but did not find favor in Cain's sacrifice, as we read in Genesis 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So God has pointed out to Cain the error and that he can learn from it. There's a lesson here. God, God is telling him, you've made a mistake. Fix your mistake for next time. But what does Cain do? Rather than taking that lesson from God, he goes and kills his brother Abel, who actually did the right thing. Now, sin is sin, don't, don't get me wrong, but to kill your brother because he did what was right, while you didn't do what was right, is pretty serious. And I'm sure Cain would not have wanted Abel to kill him under the same circumstances. As we continue to read in verses 10 through 13, the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Now, imagine that. He's just killed his brother, and this punishment is more than he can bear. I'm not sure he's got his priorities straight. As we continue to read, it says, Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now I think God had every right to maybe take Cain's life right then and there. But not only does he spare Cain's life, he actually protects him from suffering the same fate of Abel. So this is also a great example of God's love for man and how he'll help those that ask with a sincere heart. The next example I would like to bring to you is the story of Joseph. 
Now, it would take me too long to go into all of the details on the life of Joseph. He lived a fairly roller coaster life of ups and downs, highs and lows, twists and turns. And we're not, as we get into the story, we're not told exactly why, but Israel loved Joseph more than he loved his other sons. Now, parents, I know that this can be very hard, but you do need to try and love and show your love equally to your children. Now, I don't want to have this come across as bragging, but through lots of practice and patience, I can say that Bev and I were able to do this in our family. <laughs> now, for those of you that aren't aware, we only have one daughter. So, and it's unfortunate she's not here to, 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 to hear that, you know, that we did love her equally. So. <laughs> Oops, maybe she is here. And I can say right now, we love all of our grandchildren equally too. So, But anyways, back to, to our story. Because of the preferential treatment that Joseph received, it made his brothers again want to kill him. Okay, Fortunately, cooler heads prevailed, and they decided to just sell him as a slave and then tell their father that he was killed by a wild animal. So because Joseph was sold as a slave, we know that he ends up in Egypt. Now one of the first encounters that Joseph has is him refusing the advances of his master's wife. So this is definitely a good example of not doing something that he would not want done for himself. He did not follow through with, with his master's wife's uh, desires. And for his integrity, where does he end up? Prison. Okay? So there in prison, he explains the dreams of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. One of these being a positive outcome, the other, not so much. The other one is put to death. Now, Joseph, after explaining the dreams to the two men, he does ask the cupbearer to please remember him when he is restored to his former position. But that doesn't happen for a few years. Okay? It's only when the pharaoh has a dream that needs interpreting, and then the cupbearer remembers what Joseph had done for him. So it is, I guess, a better, it is better late, th late than never, but certainly not a good example of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, as the account goes, Joseph interprets the dream, as we read in Genesis 41, 39 and 40. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Joseph has gone from being imprisoned to now basically being the second in command of Egypt. <clears throat> now Joseph has interpreted that, in his interpretation, pardon me, that a famine is going to come across the land. And Joseph's brothers end up having to go to Egypt, as we know from the story, to get food. After several encounters, Joseph makes himself known to his brothers. Okay. Now the brothers, for obvious reasons, 
are fearful of Joseph. One, because of the authority that he has in the land of Egypt, and two, for what they did by selling him as a slave. So Joseph, obviously given the situation, would probably have his brothers put to death or imprisoned. That, that would be the, the eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth repayment that, that we would expect. But no, that's not what he does, right? Rather than repaying evil with evil, Joseph embraces them and immediately tells them that he has forgiven them for their actions. We read that in Genesis 45, starting in verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save the lives, pardon me, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph understands that the things that have happened to him happened for a reason. It was part of God's plan. Now Joseph's life, Joseph's life shows us how we need to try and live. We need to love everyone, despite what they might do to us, and try to remember that it may be God's will that these things are happening to us the way they are. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. We may not like it. We may not enjoy it. But we don't see the greater picture like God does. The next example is David. Now, when we think of David, usually we think of him slaying Goliath or that Jesus is going to be born into the family of David. The part of David's life that I'd like to, to uh, touch on is where he's not such a good example of being a good neighbor. Now we're told that David feared God and had a good relationship with God, yet that even at that, he sinned against God and sinned against Uriah by having a relationship with Bathsheba. Now not only did he covet his neighbor's wife, but he committed adultery with her, the result being that Bathsheba became pregnant. Now, in order to try and hide his sin, David summons Uriah from the war that is being fought, hoping that once Uriah returns home, he will go to Bathsheba. After spending the night at home, the people would then assume that Bathsheba had become pregnant from Uriah. Now, as we go into the story, Uriah says that he would not go home to be with Bathsheba, as it says in 2 Samuel. It says, Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my home to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Uriah is an example of someone that does not think of themselves more highly than others. If the men under his command are still fighting, 
He does not feel it's right that he enjoy the comforts of home. Now there's another lesson here that can be given on the characteristic of, of not thinking more highly of ourselves, but I'll save that for another time. Now because Uriah is honorable and selfless, David decides that Uriah should be killed in battle so that he can take Bathsheba as his wife. Again, not the actions of someone loving their neighbor as themselves. Now after Uriah is killed, God sends Nathan to David to show David how serious this sin was. And David understands this as we read in 2 Samuel chapter 12. It says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. So already, God has forgiven David's sin. <clears throat> David, uh, pardon me, David for his actions has caused that, that his uh, newborn son is going to die and, and, and happen so uh, as we read later in Samuel. But after this, it seems, and I haven't... Uh, spent uh, the rest of my time reading through the rest of the story of David, but seems to lead the life of a hero of the Bible that we've uh, come to know. Now, as I said, there's more examples in the Old Testament that could be used, uh, but I'd like to go to the example that uh, Russ read to us from the New Testament in Luke chapter 10. This being an example of a more positive <coughs> uh, how we should act uh, in terms of being the Good Samaritan. Now this example of the Good Samaritan is known by many more people than just Christians. And the term of calling someone a Good Samaritan is used often when someone does a good deed towards someone else. Now the question that I have, and I have to wonder, the people that are using this term, do they fully understand the significance? Do they even know that it's from the Bible? Are they aware that these are the words of Jesus? Now a Samaritan at this time that, that Jesus tells this story, a Samaritan is looked down upon by the Israelites and a nation that did not want to have any association with Samaria. The priest, who would have been Jewish, as we know, did not make any effort to offer assistance. In fact, he even it says that he walked to the other side of the road so as to not go near him. Now you would think that a priest should be one of the first ones to offer assistance to someone that's hurt or sick. The same goes for the Levite. He's from the tribe that offered sacrifices for the Israelites, a member of a tribe that was identified specifically to help those in need. Now not only did the Samaritan help him get back to a place where he could recuperate, but he had paid the expenses on his behalf and promised the innkeeper that he would be back and pay any other additional expenses to ensure that the injured Israelite was properly cared for. It didn't matter to the Samaritan what nationality this injured man was. Now as I was reading through this, this example also brought me to Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 to 48. 
This is Jesus speaking in Matthew. It says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain to the righteous and to the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, so far, I think this, this lesson has been pretty easy to relate to. And, and hopefully easy for all of us to examine ourselves and see that, you know, it wouldn't be hard to get better in this area of loving our neighbors and doing, you know, doing to others what we would want them done to us. Now, I can't speak for all of you, but my neighbors down my, my street, Caddy Lane, are all pretty nice, okay? It's not hard for me to be nice to them, and they're nice to us in return. Um, Wayne and Colette, I don't know. I'm not sure about your neighbors. Uh, Corey and M, I don't know about your neighbors either, but ho hopefully, hopefully you do love them. Uh, I'm pretty sure you do. But in this reading, Jesus is telling us to love our enemy. Now, a quick question. Have you ever prayed for your enemy? And I don't mean in the negative way, asking God to deliver some sort of punishment on them. Okay, that's, that, that can be easy to do, but, but are you asking God to soften their hearts? Are you asking God to be patient with them? Are you asking God to forgive them for what they've done to you? You know, um, so that hopefully, if, if we do that, they can see, you know, hopefully someday they will see that hurt and the harm that they've caused and decide to change their ways. Hopefully they can change their ways, they can change their attitudes, and ultimately, hopefully, this will change their eternal future. At this time, I hope you don't mind, but I'd like to say a quick prayer. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a loving God that wants all of mankind to come to you, to come to accept you and your word. Father, there are people in this world and forces from the devil that do not believe in you or your son, and they try to make things difficult for Christians. They try to turn us away from you. They hinder us in bringing your message to the people of the world. Father, we would ask you at this time to please soften their hearts towards you and soften their hearts towards Christians so that their hearts would be open to receiving the message of your word and accept your grace that has been offered. Father, we would ask your blessing upon us to continue to strengthen and encourage us in the faith and to be brave enough to talk to others about you and the joy there is in being in the family of God. We would pray that there can be more enemies of yours that are changed to become our brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you for your son who shed his blood as a sacrifice for us. This blood that washes away our sin 
and will wash away the sins of all that accept you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm not asking for anybody to speak out, but how did that feel? Can you think of someone specific that this type of prayer might be beneficial for? Do you think you could ever say a prayer for an enemy? Someone who's hurt you? Someone that hinders your walk with God? I, I hope we all can. I hope I can. But it's going to take practice. I don't know if you remember at the start of my lesson, I said there's things about me that I'd like to change. But it's up to me to practice these things that I need and want to get better at. Sorry. It's up to all of us to make the changes in our lives that we need in order to live the kind of life God wants us to live. Proverbs 25:22 and Romans 12:20 reads If you love if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I'll be honest, I tried to follow these words in the scripture, but I had completely the wrong attitude. Okay, if someone treated me badly and I had the opportunity to do something nice to them, I would do it. Unfortunately, my motivation was to make them feel bad about the way they treated me. I loved heaping those coals on them, but my heart was wrong. And in essence, I was really acting no better than they did to me. I'm getting better. I'm trying to be a little more understanding of the other person and what they're going through in their lives. Now maybe there's a lot of stress and anxiety in their life, and they finally had enough and lashed out at me. Not because of me, but maybe I just happened to be there when it happened. If we could be more understanding and patient, then I think we'll be able to do what it says in verse 21 of Romans 12. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And if we were to read the Proverbs verse, it even says there that the Lord will reward you. I'd like to kind of wrap things up with an account of Elisha and the Arameans in 2 Kings 6, starting in verse 8. And I think this was one of the, uh, the Old Testament readings uh, that was given a little while ago. Uh, but I think it was a really good one for the example that I'm, I'm trying to get across here today. 2 Kings 6, starting in verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Be aware, 
Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots on fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Now can you... Again, hopefully, hopefully from that story we, we get a great lesson. But can you imagine today an enemy is invading a land, is captured, and rather than killing them or imprisoning them, they're treated like welcome guests. Treated to a banquet and then allowed to return back home. Now there's lots of there's lots of wars and, and the world wars that have taken place. Imagine if, if that happened, and I, I honestly can't. Right? I, I can't imagine Hitler comes to mind right away. Right? That, that's just not what's going to happen in the world. And I'm not foolish enough to think that everyone in the world is actually going to follow the second commandment given by Jesus. Again, it's nice to think, it's, it's nice to dream um, of how things might be if that happened. But as I say, I'm not, I'm not foolish enough to think that that's going to happen. What I do know, I know that we can obey this command. I know that we can help our small corner of the world to be just a little better place to live. A little better place to live for, for others and the people of our community. As Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13, and I'll finish with this one, 
It just says, and for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. Thank you.